our thoughts can take us down a deep, deep well. And if it's negative, sometimes when you're spiraling, it's difficult to get out of that spiral. And what I teach people to do is to capture your thought. So you identify what happened. How did you think or feel? Let's say you and I were having a conversation and um, you said something that hurt my feelings. Tracy hurt my feelings. She said that my hair was too fluffy. I felt disrespected. And I'd identify a scripture and I would concentrate on that scripture and not on what you said. And that is what would stop me from spiraling in that moment. Reboot's episode R040 features Cheryl Luke. Now, Cheryl is a minister, and she was thrust into the 12 steps of Celebrate Recovery as a function of her job. And much to her surprise, she learned through the process of working the steps and teaching the steps that she was, in her words, utterly broken. Now, in this conversation you're about to hear, Cheryl and I totally nerded out on the 12 steps and on journaling, but we also talked about the cultural diversity in the kingdom of God. We discussed race in America and why people who look like me often fail to understand the harsh realities that people of color must contend with every single day. The simple act says Cheryl Luke, of walking across the room might very well be one of the most powerful contributions you and I can make in the service of the kingdom. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, Stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Hey, Cheryl, thanks for inviting us into your life today. It's really awesome to get to talk to you. I'm so glad to be here and grateful we got to meet. I am too. We were able to meet at a Celebrate Recovery event back in November, and you're on the national team, and so you did a whole lot of these, we used to call them one days, where you travel all over the country with the national team, and uh, that's got to be exhausting and exhilarating. Why don't you tell me what that's like? So actually, I'm a new member of the team, so I haven't gotten to do a lot of traveling with them, but exhilarating, it definitely is. You know, you have the opportunity to meet people from different walks of life in different phases of their recovery, and then work with some of the most amazing people you'll ever want to meet. Yeah, that's a true story. Tell me about your role on the national team. What do you do? So my role is very new. I am the National Director for Cultural Communities, and my goal is to ensure that people of color know that Celebrate Recovery is a place for them to find healing. Yeah, and that seems to be not just a Celebrate Recovery issue. That's kind of a global issue, isn't it? It it definitely is, and 
one of the things that I'm realizing in doing this work, and again, I'm fairly new at it, but there's a disparity among the people. And you walk into a meeting and you see all these people who are worshiping God and all these people who are working on their recovery. And as I began to look a little deeper, I didn't see very many people that looked like me. And uh, I had a heart for ensuring that the people that look like me know that, that there's not only a seat for them at the table here, but that we want you here. We want you to find yes. recovery here. We want you to find Jesus here. We want you to be a part of this, what we call forever family. Yes. Yes. I think that's important. And I want to park this for just a, a little bit because I definitely want to come back to this and get your impressions of how we make that happen and some things that I personally can do, some things that every listener can do to to be more culturally aware. But for now, I, I just kind of want to get to know you a little bit better. I love some of the stuff on your website, CherylLuke.com. And I just kind of want to start with some of my favorite quotes off your website and get your impressions of that if you don't care. Sure. You say, I enjoy sharing meals with loved ones. Mm -hmm. I'll even do the cooking. Sunday dinner, anyone? Great stories and lots of laughter give me life. So the first thing I'm interested in is what kind of food am I going to get when I come to see you? <laughs> you will get whatever you like. So I enjoy cooking and can cook just about anything. And my family and extended family and I get together whenever we can on Sundays after church and we share a meal together. And it is absolutely amazing. My sister and I own a home together. And so about five years ago, we had about four young women who were post-college living with us. And it was, it was beautiful. And the thing that brought us together was food. And we'd sit at that table. They'd bring their friends over and our house would be so loud, <laughs> so loud. But there would be laughter, conversations, music, dancing. And it all happened around a Sunday dinner invite. That is so much fun. It's one of my favorite things. When I was a little girl growing up, that was the thing that we did at, at my mom's parents' house, and it mm. was cousins. And I w I'm, I'm still an only child, but even at three years old, you know, that, that connection to my cousins was and remains powerful. Yeah. So in this season, what was the number one most requested Cheryl meal? What they want most? I think, well, my macaroni and cheese, <gasps> for sure. Yeah. And my nephew would probably want my fried chicken, my macaroni and cheese, and greens. Greens. I yes. love greens. So do I. Yeah. So are we talking <laughs> collard or kale or turnip? What are or spinach? Yep. What are we what are we talking about? We mix collards and turnip. <gasps> yes. yes. You are my kind yeah. of woman. Yeah. And cornbread? Absolutely. Oh, yes. I'm Absolutely. staying. I, I will be right over. <laughs> we, there's, there's, we have a mix-up between either homemade cornbread or there is this roll by a 
company, I guess, called Sister Schubert's. Have you? Yes. Girl? Yes. Sister Schubert's. I know. That is so awesome. Okay. (laughs) I'll be right over. (laughs) And this kind of riffs off of this a little bit because your connection to food is people. And Mm -hmm. and we talked about this when we briefly met back in November. You love people and I I love people, but I'm incredibly uncomfortable around a ton of people. It just freaks me out and exhausts me. Mm -hmm. But on this, I agree. And this is what I love about working one-on-one with people through Celebrate Recovery. The next thing that I love that you you say is everyone, everyone has an extraordinary gift to offer humanity, a specific seat at the table and a voice to be heard. Mm. First impressions of that, and I'm sure, pretty sure we're going to come back to that as part of the, the other conversation. We've kind of mm-hmm. got parked for a minute. Riff off that a minute. Yeah, so we are just not an accident who happened to be born into a family. I believe very firmly that the Lord has plans for each and every one of us. And not only is it his desire and his plan that we live on this earth, there's something that we're supposed to do while we're here. And it's, in my opinion, related to what we love to do. What we love to do. And what we love to do is a reflection of God's character. It's a reflection of who He is and what He loves. And when we remove ourselves from being a full expression of who He's called us to be, we're robbing humanity of an expression of who God is, because that's who we are. You know, if you think about the world as a table, Everybody has a seat with their name on it, and we should not try to spend our time finding ourselves at somebody else's seat, trying to do the things that somebody else is good at or emulating other people. We just need to be good and powerful at being who we are. I think Miles Monroe said something to the effect of when we try to emulate or copy other people, we become a cheap imitation of the original. Oh, wow. And and you have experience with this in your life, because the next thing I kind of want to bring up as a can opener into sort of sharing your story, you say, I felt like my life was falling apart. I was functioning and utterly broken. Mm -hmm. The catalyst for change was working my 12 steps in Mm -hmm. Celebrate Recovery. (sighs) Cheryl, me too. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, Let's kind of dive into your story. How was your life falling apart even Mm. though you were functioning? Yeah. So I work at a church here in Austin, Texas, and I am a ministry leader. And I have been involved in and around ministry most of my life. And the previous leader of Celebrate Recovery moved out of town. And so my pastor asked me to take CR over. And when I went into my first step study, I realized that, you know, while I had been healed from a lot of things and while I've made some strides in my life, as I began to dig deep into the steps and start working the steps, I realized that my life was a hot mess and that I wasn't as healthy as I thought I was. I realized that I was very controlling And I realized I had a food addiction and the revelation, when the revelation of those things hit me, I literally thought I was going to fall apart emotionally. 
because I had this impression of this woman who was leading ministry and speaking and singing. I had this impression of this woman who was just a shadow of who she really was. Wow. And Celebrate Recovery helped me become a fuller expression of who God called me to be. Wow. I think in so many ways, for me, my recovery represented something very similar to that. Mm-hmm. And, and I was sort of in between. I was not as put together as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning now that I'm not as big a failure as in between my ears. Exactly. So is that kind of what you discovered too, maybe? It is. And it was it was a um a definite journey because at the moment of my discovery, I thought that I was a I thought I was a perpetrator. You know, someone who's standing up and teaching and leading and had no idea that I had this blind spot. And that realization sent me reeling emotionally. The one thing that I have to say that I did was I continued working the steps. And as I kept working those steps, that clouded vision became um, clearer. And I understood and understand today that we all have issues. We all have hurts, hangups, and habits. And we all need recovery at some level. And when that truth met the hot mess that I realized that I was, I was able to move forward. Wow. That tracks with a lot of us. I, I actually walked in knew and I was knowing that I was a hot mess. Mm. But it wasn't in the way that I thought it was, if that makes right. sense. That makes sense. But for you, it seems like you were coming in to kind of help everybody else feel better. And then there was this moment where you realized, oh, my gosh, I'm broken. Yes. And then it's easy to quit, right? Mm -hmm. Except I couldn't quit because I was a leader. (laughs) I couldn't. God has a funny sense of humor, doesn't he? I, I say that he tricked me into my recovery. Uh, I had I couldn't quit because I was leading and my 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 whole intent was to lead these poor people through their recovery. Yeah. And I was probably the poorest of them all. Why do you say that? Because I was a mess and had no idea. Right. The people that I was working with at the time, they knew that they needed change. They knew that they had issues. They knew that they were addicted to something or that it had a hurt that needed to be dealt with. I thought that I had done my work previously. Right. Not so, sister. Yeah. Was there a point where you felt unworthy to be around the people who were real and working their program like their lives depended on it? No, I didn't ever feel unworthy. I was always secure in my relationship with God and even in my calling. I just think the fact that I wasn't as healthy as I thought I was, was more of the issue for me than yeah. anything else. Well, let's unpack the food addiction thing. Can, can you walk us through, and, and I know you share your story in a, in a safer environment than sure. publicly. This is a lot more public. And, and so 
the the beauty of Celebrate Recovery is that we have anonymity and confidentiality in there, mm-hmm. different phases of confidentiality. So I in no way want to violate your level of comfort and safety. But mm-hmm. in as much as you feel comfortable, can you can you kind of walk me through the the food addiction part? I mean, you love food and you still have this this relationship with food because it's it's how you relate to other people. Mm-hmm. So kind of can you take us as close as you can to the um, ground zero of mm-hmm. of that realization? Sure. The ground zero of that realization came shortly after I took over the ministry. And I've always been overweight, but I never thought that I had an addiction. I thought I loved to eat. I all my life, and this is something I look back and really kind of chuckle at myself. You know, I've tried different exercises and I've never done a, a ton of diets, but nothing ever worked because I'd always go back to eating, which is, you know, insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I never realized the the depth of insanity with all of the exercising and pushing the plate back and uh, me going back to food that I, I was, I, I guess, experiencing. But the ground zero for me was principle one, I believe. What Principle one, it says, realize I am not God. I don't know what about that statement struck me. And so ground zero was control, realizing that I was controlling. And then as I began to unpack what that looked like in my life, food was at the top of the list because food was the one thing that I could control. Food was there when I wanted it to be there. It was there and cooked the way I wanted to cook it. It was presented in a way that I wanted to present it. And it brought me peace. It brought me comfort. It was a a longstanding friend, I guess, if you will, that I had most of my life. And it never let me down. It never left me. It was always there when I needed the comfort. And so I realized that I had this very unhealthy and what I would call ungodly relationship with food. And I began to, just to take the story a little further, I began to look at how food has had impacted my life and at what points I would be drawn to say, go get a hamburger or French fries. And I remember one day at work, something sort of set me off. And I, in the middle of the day, went and got in my car and found myself driving down the street looking for French fries. And I thought, you better get back to work because those French fries aren't going to bring you any peace. Mm. You go deal with your trouble. Okay, I'm a systems girl, Cheryl, and the Beatitudes are all about systems. I love that Jesus was a systems guy because that's what the 12 steps are based on. And I just think that is rocking. So walk me through the system that you used to to figure out your past relationship with food Mm -hmm. and how it intersected with with your past Mm -hmm. and then the habits that you had developed. What did that look like? So it looked like working the steps one day at a time 
and living one moment at a time. And that period of, of my life was very dark. And I think it could be very easy to say for those that don't understand that it's just food, push back the plate. I've heard it said. So the system that worked for me was, and it was unintentional. I found myself every day going home and sitting in my chair in my bedroom. And my sister, who's very, very aware, would walk in my bedroom every day and sit on the bed. And every day I would begin to talk about my life and she would just sit there and let me talk. And then I began to get up early in the morning to do my lesson through the step studies. And after I did my lesson, I would do what I call a breathing pattern. And that's just breathing in deeply and pausing and breathing out and then pausing and then breathing in and pausing. And when I would breathe in, I would thank the Lord for my life. I would thank the Lord for my life. I would thank God for my healing. And as I would breathe out, I would thank Him for removing all of the things that weren't from Him in my life. From him in my life. Every morning I did this. After I did that, every morning I read the serenity prayer. Every morning. After that, I would read Psalm 139 every morning. And over a six or eight month period, that was what my morning looked like. Then there's also a journaling process that I teach actually called Relate. And it is identifying the triggers in our lives. And once you identify the trigger, you write down what happened to trigger you. And then you write down how you feel, what you thought or felt. And then you identify a specific connection style that's affected that would cause the trigger and then you write a scripture you write a scripture that is contrary to that trigger that's what my life looked like I read my word I recited the serenity prayer I did my breathing treatments I would talk to my sister faithfully for probably six or eight months wow when we go through our step four for those who aren't familiar with the 12 Steps of Recovery, Step 4 is a fearless and searching moral inventory. And the easy thing to do would be to just say, you know, my past is in the past and I, right. I, I want to keep it there. Or I'm so ashamed of what I've done in the past, I, I can't do that. But the importance of revisiting our past to understand it is the thing that gives the Holy Spirit room mm-hmm. to grow and take root in our lives and say that we are not the sum of the things that we have done or even the things that have happened to us. Right. I have played the victim card vigorously and often. Mm-hmm. Is that the end result of this six-month process for you? Doing step four? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I would say no. Okay. It's not. It was definitely a a reminder for me. And again, I've been um, in ministry and have done different types of things like this before. And so I've dealt with, I'm doing air quotes right now. I dealt with the things in my past. And so what I believe for me was the the thing that helped me get on the other side 
was literally sitting down and doing those steps every day. Mm. The thing that caused me to have that food addiction was my father walking out of my life. Mm. And when he left our family, I developed a relationship with food. That was your comfort then, your stability? That was my comfort and my stability. But it, it was just sitting down every day, Tracy, and, and doing the work and reciting the, reciting the words to the serenity prayer out loud so that my heart and soul could hear it and reciting Psalm 139 out loud so my heart and soul could hear it was, I think those three things were key for me. Mm. That serenity prayer is everything to me. Oh, man. And you know something? Last night, uh, we recited it again. I mean, yeah. twice a week. I, I hear it even when it's not in the forefront of my mind every single day. Mm-hmm. I'll go through seasons where I, I recite it every day, and then for whatever reason, it drops off, which is probably not very smart. <laughs> but every so often... As well as I know that, there will be another little section of, wow, this is powerful, and I've never looked at it that way. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that, and then if you think about the work we do in the 12 steps, those four books and those daily questions that we have to answer, and then you come back and walk through or talk through those answers. I I call it a slow burn because if you aren't paying attention if you're not paying attention, you don't really understand what's happening as you're doing the work. But answering those questions that seem so very simple and almost, almost insignificant for me were, it was like a chipping away of the hurt and the pain and the, and a chipping away of the facade that I had built over years. Yeah. And then there's genuine, authentic humility, and it goes back to the, oh, I'm not God. I'm not God. And how, you know, we know that. Like, we at the core, we know that. But how often do we spend so much time trying to affect outcomes? (laughs) All the time. Oh, my gosh. Sure. Yeah. I'm not God. You know, one of the things that the Lord really impressed on me as I was working through that control was because I care about everything. I want everything to work out right. And he just told me to say out loud when something didn't work out the way I wanted it to, or if I needed to take my hands off, just say, I don't care. Not because you don't care or you don't give a rip. It's not my care. It is not my responsibility to affect the outcome of what's happening around me. It's God's responsibility. So I did spend a lot of time saying under my breath, oh, I, I don't care. Mm. I don't care. I don't care. So this, this six-month process then, was that sort of like a slow burn transformation mm. of releasing control? Is that what that was? Oh, absolutely. Of the past, the present, or the future? Everything, oh, like yeah. every little thing, every, all the things. My friend says, "I all the, uh, things. all the things." I remember after reading that those words, "I am not God." I put the book down, and I went and asked 
my sister if she thought I was controlling. And we are a very expressive family. And she didn't have to say a word. I knew. And I was shocked. I knew that the answer was yes. But I also knew that I had no clue for all of my life. And I am 54. I had no idea I was controlling. None. But she clearly loves you because she spent all that time oh, just listening to goodness. you. my goodness. Yes. All right. Before we move on, the power of listening. Mm. We, we talk about that and we practice that and celebrate recovery. Girl, I'd never done that before. I was mm. always, you know, Madam, I do it. I'm not going to share my <laughs> thoughts and my feelings. I'm going to talk about what that jerk did yeah. to make me mad today. Sure. But when someone else is talking, I'm also going to get my little finger out and I'm going to mm -hmm. tell them, you need to do this. Exactly. That's a lot of pressure. Yes. Let's talk uh, the importance of listening. When, when you went mm. into that step study or when your sister listened to you without judgment, man, mm -hmm. that's powerful. And, and I so start powerful. to freak out now when other people don't know the secret code of just listening and loving. <laughs> mm. And what about the power of silence? If someone has said something and you just give the atmosphere, if you will, the opportunity just to let those words sit so that you can lean into what, what God is doing. And, and as the listener, you're listening not only to the person that's talking to you, but you're listening to the Lord or the Holy Spirit and saying, Father, what do I say next? Or what's happening next in this moment? Yeah. Active listening is so critical in this process because people don't listen, Tracy. And so you come into an atmosphere like Celebrate Recovery and you have these people sitting in a circle and somebody says something and there's no crosstalk. There's just this one person who's doing the talking. And I wonder how often that one person feels like, this is the first time I'm being heard. This is the first time anyone is listening to me. And I'm saying something to these people that I don't know that well, that I've never, that I may have never said to anyone ever before. And they're listening. And they're going to say thank you. Yes. Yes. That's power. Yeah. It's powerful to experience someone who finally feels like I can say this mm. and no one's going to tell me I'm a horrible human being. Right. There's no judgment. Yeah. And then you walk out with assurance that what you've shared is going to stay with those people in the room. Oh, absolutely. Before we even started recording, I was talking about how some very new people were at the conference that you and I were at, and I, right. I was on one track, and these women and men were on another track, and so they got to hear your story, and I didn't, and they didn't know that you and I had kind of connected out in the hallway and we bounded on the bus. And my first question was, cause this is like my fifth or sixth rodeo at one of these, right? Sure. And they're newbies. And I'm so excited to, to just listen to them talk about what it was like. These people have only been in celebrate recovery six or eight months. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, what was your favorite part? And they were like, this Cheryl woman, she was amazing. <laughs> and you shared your testimony. And I think you, I think you sang. And 
we got from Tulsa to Fort Smith, which is a couple of hours, they raved about your story, but no one ever shared your story because mm. that's confidential and your right. story is your story. And I just love that. Yeah. I was so proud of this. Yeah. That's the power of Celebrate Recovery. It is. It is. I want to, I love journaling. Journaling has been a powerful thing for me Mm -hmm. and it has helped me navigate a ton of change the last five or six years. And you alluded to this. Talk to me about relate. That's kind of a thing that you do, right? It's a thing that I do. Yeah. It's a, tell me about it. So it is a workshop that I can teach you. I can do it through coaching and essentially it is teaching us to renew our mind because our thoughts can take us down a deep, deep well. And if it's negative, sometimes when you're spiraling, it's difficult to get out of that spiral. And what I teach people to do is to capture your thought. So you identify what happened. How did you think or feel? We have an assessment that you take that identifies your top three connection styles and then we have a bank of scriptures that are tied to each of those connection styles so a journal would look like let's say you and I were having a conversation and um, you said something that hurt my feelings so what happened Tracy hurt my feelings she said that my hair was too fluffy how did I feel what did I think or feel I felt disrespected Which connection style was affected? Let's say it affected me as a connector. And then I would look at the scriptures that are attached to connector and I'd identify a scripture and I would concentrate on that scripture scripture. and not on what you said. And that is what would stop me from spiraling in that moment. And then there is a choice to be made as as to whether or not you let it go or, or say... Tracy, don't say my hair is fluffy. Right, right. Please, here's how I felt about that. (laughs) Right, right. right. Because I probably didn't know. You probably didn't know. Right. But it's more about that internal, what happens internally versus externally. I love that. Thank you. How how would someone get involved in and participate in a workshop like that? Because I think that's awesome. You can go to my website and send me an email and I can get back in touch with you. Cool. Sure. Do you do these live or uh, online calls like this or coaching? Tell me, walk me through that real quick. So we do um, workshops, live workshops, so I can travel anywhere and do workshops. And then I also do it through coaching and I do coaching through via phone or Zoom or in person. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you travel a lot then. I do travel a little bit. Okay. I think that's fascinating. I'll, I'll put a link to the, the Relate Workshop page in the show Perfect. notes so people will be able to do that. Okay. Now let's talk about the kingdom and cultural mm. communities. Yeah. Man, this is a can of worms. It can easily be a can of worms, especially here in the South, I guess all yeah. over the, the, the world, really. Yeah. And you and I talked about this a little bit. I, I never fully understood that my life is radically different from 
yours until about five years ago. Mm -hmm. And this is a realization that has come over the course of, of a while. And it was, it, it broke me. It mm -hmm. brought me to my knees mm -hmm. when I began to understand that some of my of color friends had been living a completely different life. Racism abounds. Mm -hmm. And, and I just had no idea. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Where do we where do we get this so wrong, Cheryl? Yeah. I think it is a plan and has been a plan of the enemy, of the enemy from the beginning of time. Because at the core of who we are, if you go back in scripture, the word says that God created man in his image. He created us in his image. And somewhere along the line, we have gotten it twisted. And some groups of people think they're better than other groups of people. And, and we've really walked away as a, as a people. We've walked away from the truth of who we are and why we're here on this earth. We're here to build kingdom, right? Right. If you strip me of my hair and you strip me of my skin and I strip you of your hair and I strip you of your skin, once you get to that next layer, we're the same. Absolutely. And we forget that. And we forget that. And I know that when we have this conversation. Yeah. But I forget in these tiny, little, bitty ways, I assume that when you walk into any restaurant in the world, mm -hmm. you're as welcome as I am. Right. And I'm wrong about that. You're wrong about that. Why do I not get that? Well, because that's not your story. That's not your story. That's not your reality. And so I can see why you don't understand because you can walk into any store, into any restaurant, and you'll be fine. Right? Right. Yeah. And if I'm not fine, I'm going to raise holy hell. That's right. I can't do that. And why not? Because they will, <laughs> I will probably be handcuffed and carted off to jail. That and not in every situation. That's not the case for every place. But but you never know which one is not safe, so it's best for them not to be all safe. That's right. Girl, I just That's right. And and here's the other part of the reality is that 4 or 5 years ago I finally figured out my truth is not your truth. Right. But I still mess that up sometimes. I forget. Yeah. How do you how do you mess it up and how do you forget? <sighs> There's not a specific instance that that I can think of right now off the top of my head. Sure. But sure. like well, for one thing, I'm shocked when some of my of color friends come to me and say, Well, this is um this is a third hand thing. But a man's daughter is a cashier somewhere locally, and she's of color. And an idiotic white dude came in and said, I want a different cashier because I don't want to have to handle change from this young 18-year-old girl. So yeah. why am I shocked at that? Yeah. Because I am. I just want to go yeah. thump somebody. Yeah. And I'm not shocked by it. I know. Yeah. And here's the deal. And this is where you and I can make a difference. 
I think we make a difference by having this conversation. We make a difference in Celebrate Recovery by ensuring that there are people that look like you and people that look like me sitting right next to each other doing the work together. Yes, ma'am. Because that's kingdom work. And the the change isn't going to happen. It's not going to come by simply having a conversation. I think the conversation is probably step one, point one. The real change comes when we take action and we remember that we were all created in the eyes of God. And this is why I love Celebrate Recovery, because they want people that look like me in leadership. Yes. They want people like me talking about this. They want people like me saying, we're not doing this in this ministry. And they're standing right next to me saying, no, we're not. We're not going to have it. Yes. Yes. And I want people like you in leadership because I want to know what that next right step is for me because, because, gosh, there's already a stigma attached to the 12 right. steps of recovery. Who wants to walk into a recovery meeting exactly. the first time? Exactly. And so for me, inviting people to CR is a years-long process. I right. share my story with them, but only when someone is ready right. are they going to say, now, what's this thing that's changed your life? Mm-hmm. And so the idea that now then, I need to add another piece to that. Right. How do I make sure that I'm inviting people of color? Right. right. That kind of is a freaky outy thing, Cheryl. It is. It is. But I, I boil it down to one simple statement. Walk across the room. Yeah. Walk across the room. You take the initiative to walk across the room and say hello. You take the initiative to walk across the room and shake somebody's hand. You take the initiative to walk across the room to start a relationship. Once you begin that relationship, then you can share your story. Once you share your story, then the invitation can come. The trust is going to come after after you've walked across the room, after you've said hello. That trust is going to come after you've shared your story. Because I'll bet you our stories are not that much different. Oh, we've already figured that out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Walk across the room. And maybe that's what I've been intuitively doing is, you know, I I have friends of color, but until, well, right after the uh, Charleston Church shootings, Mm -hmm. I just never stopped to say, hey, let's go grab coffee. I have some questions for you. Right. And I was stunned at at the responses that I got. Mm-hmm. What were the responses? Well, I'm in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. about three years ago, our two high schools were the Northside Rebels. Mm. Or, I mean, Rebels? the South, South Side Rebels. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Northside Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. And Northside was the f- original high school. Southside was a product of the uh, 60s. Sure. And there was, it, heck, when I was a, a journalist back in the 80s, there was talk of changing the mascot. And oh, nobody wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you'll be glad to know that um, as of what, three years ago, we're now the Mavericks on the South Beautiful. Side of Fort Smith. Beautiful. But I talked to a friend of mine who is 
biracial, and she is a graduate of Southside. And mm. the the whole Charleston thing was the guy with the rebel flag. And I just mm-hmm. asked her some questions. You went to Southside. Does, does the whole rebel flag thing bother you? It doesn't, does it? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And 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 she she said, "Do you really want to know, or do you just want to feel better?" Mm. Yeah, I'm, I want to know. Mm-hmm. And for her to tell me about some of the things that had happened to her, the things right. that were said to her, how she felt, yeah. and how she felt unsafe in expressing her fears and concerns. Mm-hmm broke my heart. And then a little bit later, probably a few weeks later, I did not see this, but a friend uh, was coming out of a retail store in Fort Smith. And there was a woman of color walking out of a department store and guys in a big truck, loud with the rebel flag on the back, drove by very slowly and intimidated this young woman. Yeah. I just went, oh, man, I've gotten it Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And we're no different from one another. That's got to be terrifying, Cheryl. It is terrifying on a level that is unspeakable. How, How have you navigated that for this long without us ever having these conversations until recently? Well, I've had conversations most of my life. And as a person of color, you figure out how to live your life in the midst of prejudice. It doesn't stop you from becoming who God called you to be. You just live a little differently than someone that doesn't look like you. Like how? Uh, You are aware when you walk outside, you're aware. If you go to a place that you're not comfortable or you haven't been before, you you look at your surroundings. If you walk into an environment that is predominantly white, you you scope the place out and you are very, very careful. You tell your grandchildren, your great grand your great nieces and nephews to be careful where they go. And you tell them not to put hoodies on when they're in public and to pull their pants up. That's just, it's sick. It's sick. Wow. You're teaching your children or your, my great nieces and nephews how to live in a culture that wasn't created for them. Wow. All right. So if I'm in a predominantly white public place, Mm-hmm. And someone of color walks in. Mm-hmm. What's the best way I can make myself a little more uncomfortable as a means for helping someone like you feel more comfortable without being creepy? Because that's just yeah. creepy. Yes. Don't be creepy. That's the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be creepy. Say hello. Speak. Like make eye contact, huh? Absolutely. Don't turn tail and go the other direction. You know, just treat that person like you would treat your friend. That person is no different than your friend. Right. 
or no different than a white person that you don't know that's walking into an environment. Hmm. No different. Before we wrap up, are, are there are there any, like, I'm going to do my very best to get this interview done in February. And, okay. And February is, I mean, it, it seems kind of silly because we need to be culturally and racially aware all the time. Right. But why not kind of exploit Black History Month, right? Okay, right. But I have <laughs> Let's a, just I have call a, it what it is. Oh, go for I, it. I have a thought about that. Please do. You know, as an African-American, as an American, it is sad, if you will, to me and to our people that we would have one month relegated to us. Yeah. So I am supportive of Black history every day. Yes. So I understand why you'd want to do it in February. I get it. But Black history is no different than American history. Yes. I concur. And I yeah. and I did. I totally was like <sighs> conflicted on this whole yeah. thing. Sure. But you have a website, so you get you get the opportunity that exists with SEO and keywords to maybe sure. get more yes. listeners. Absolutely. Right? Go so for it. If I can get this done and and if I can continue to to exploit the calendar a little bit like you would on National Cheeseburger Day or sure. you know is there one thing someone who looks like me can mm-hmm. do in the month of February or March or any time of year to figuratively or literally walk across the room you got any yeah. ideas for me like real specific crunchy ideas I do. So I would say first is revisit American history because what they teach you in school isn't the full picture of what American history is. And teach your children the full picture. That's number one. Number two is find people that don't look like you and befriend them. Number three is understand that as Christians, those of us who are Christians, that we have a work to do and it involves all people. And for the church to be one of the most segregated entities on the planet is, um, it's a little heartbreaking. Mm. But as the church, I think that we should make an effort to cohabit with people that don't look like us. How do we do that? Like we're doing, just, just the same way we're doing. And... I think it's okay to have people that don't look like us on stage. It's okay to have music that's a little diverse. Diverse, diverse. I, I love, I have to go back to Celebrate Recovery. I love the fact that they're willing to bring me alongside and put me on the national team as a representative of diversity. And I think that I'm just a fir- the first step of what you're going to see long-term in this ministry. I hope so. It is. I, I, have, I know their hearts. Oh, yeah. That this is what they want. And it's going to happen. Yeah. It's got yeah. to. Yeah. Okay. So we revisit American history and teach our children the full picture. 
We find people who don't look like me and befriend them. We understand that as Christians, we have a work to do that involves all people. Anything else? I think that's a good start. Okay. So, Do you have any ideas? I'd love to know. I know this is your show. I, this conversation, I think, is invaluable because even though I enjoyed visiting with you for five or ten minutes, we were both pretty tired. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You were. But I love this extended conversation that you and I mm-hmm. are having, and, and I honestly believe that um, the opportunity to share this to a wider audience is kind of the the bonus. Sure. Because I'm being selfish here. I'm I'm pretty often in tune with, I think, what my listeners want me to ask. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of know when one of my guests says something and then that person's going, wait, 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 go back mm-hmm. and dig, sure. dig a little deeper. But I, I'm going to admit, Cheryl, I've been 100% selfish in the questions that I've asked you. Okay. I just, I love this conversation. And right now, that's that's all I have okay. in terms of an idea, just because I need some time to chew on this. You've helped me advance my thought processes on this. Walk across the room is huge. Yes. And it's almost, for me, you've almost given me a challenge. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to pray about it and ruminate on it. Because I think walk across the room is something that I can actually quantify and set a measurable goal for, not Mm -hmm. just for February, but for the rest of 2019 is in what ways can I walk across the room and meet someone? Maybe it's being even more intentional about reaching out to my friends or strangers of color and having right. coffee or lunch with them once a month probably isn't too much to ask, right? That's, that's right. And I think in my past life, I've always wanted to change the world. That's part of why I became a reporter. Mm-hmm. It's part of why I was in public service for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fix everything. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. But for me, what you have said here and even in November is that it doesn't happen overnight. Mm-mm. The thing that I've learned through recovery is that I can only control me. That's right. And that maybe the next 11 months look like me walking across the room and sharing with people my experiences without violating someone else's confidentiality. Does that make sense? Makes great sense. Is that enough? I think it's enough for now. Enough for now. Yeah. I like Mm -hmm. how you said that. Yeah. Okay. It's enough for now. I want to go back to one more thing. Okay. I know I need to let you go. One of the things that that resonated with me on your website is that you say, I am committed to helping the generations connect with their God-given intention and embrace the story of their lives. Story's powerful. Yeah. How can someone begin to recognize their story like you've done with your past and your control issues and your food addiction? What's Mm -hmm. the first step someone can take to um, embrace the story of their lives? It's a great question. I think that 
it's important to know where you've come from and not just ethnically or, you know, family wise, but what has happened to you throughout the course of your life and who have you become as a result of the things that you've walked through and what steps have you taken to deal with the difficulties and how have you embraced the things that represent the, the true essence of who you are? You know, when I look at the word history, I think of his story and how God takes our lives and um, weaves this beautiful picture, this beautiful, amazing masterpiece that is the sum of both good times and bads, hurt, heartache, victory. And um, we become who we are. And that's the story of our lives. And so we can't forget the difficulties and the, and the pain. Why can't we take those things, lean into them, and, and use them to help other people? Why can't we take those difficult times and match them with the, with the good times and just be thankful for who we are today? Yeah. And talk about it. Yeah. And, and when I think about the generations, there are people who have gone before me that I can look at and say, you know what, they've walked this road before. I can ask them questions or let me help them because I'm younger than they are and I can help them navigate in today's culture. And then I can look behind me and say, you know what, girl or gentleman, come with me because I've walked this road before. Come with me because I've, I've done this before. That's how we embrace our stories. That's how we embrace who we are. And that's how we affect the generations. Oh, I love that. And the other part mm -hmm. is that when we realize God loves us now, mm -hmm. but he also, he, he didn't love us any less right. when we were a hot, hot mess and didn't even know it. That's right. He loved us the same then. We don't have to wait until we're mm -mm. better for him to love us to get better. Exactly. Exactly. Our story is our story. And That's he right. just loves us, period. That's right. Anything else before I let you get on with the rest of your evening? I'm just grateful that we had this time together. And I hope we get to do it again. I know. We could totally go off on a whole specific topic on something. I feel like sure. we've done a shotgun thing, but um, yeah. please know that anytime you have a message that you want to share with anyone sure. who wants to navigate change, sure, I'm your girl. Okay. Perfect. All right. All right. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you. If you'd like to book Cheryl for a speaking engagement, or maybe even explore the idea of having her partner with you as a coach, check out our website, CherylLuke.com. That's C-H-R-Y-L-L-U-K-E.com. We'll have links in the show notes at RebootsPodcast.com forward slash episode four zero. All right, so... Here's the question that I've been asking myself since my conversation with Cheryl, and I don't have answers here. I would really appreciate some help here and uh, your ideas and your responses, and we're going to make it easy for you to do that in just a little bit. Here are my questions. 
how often am I willing to step away from my comfort zone and walk across the room, put out my hand, and introduce myself to someone who doesn't look like me? And when is that a non-creepy thing to do, right? (laughs) Now, because I'm an introvert, it's tough enough for me to introduce myself to anybody, whether I know them or not, you know, just to approach somebody and say hi. Sometimes that can terrify me. So this idea of walking across the room to a complete stranger, yeah, it kind of terrifies me, honestly. But now that I'm beginning to understand how frequently people of color walk into a new place and they have to assess how safe they feel in just being themselves in certain places. Maybe I can push outside my comfort zone. And usually the best way for me to push myself is to challenge myself, to set a marker, an objective, or a goal. And let's be real, that's, that's a really weird thing to do in this instance, right? So can I? Or should I count the number of times I walk across the room and risk my own emotional safety in an effort to help someone else feel safer? And when might that make someone feel more unsafe? Yeah. Is that creepy or self-serving to set a goal like that? Y'all, I don't know. Here's what I do know. If Cheryl is right, and I think she is, then walking across the room more frequently is a kingdom pursuit for those of us who are trying to authentically follow the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And it does require all of us to engage in situations and about topics that make us at least a little uncomfortable, maybe more uncomfortable. So I don't know. You got thoughts on that? If you do, you can visit rebootspodcast.com, click on the gray tab on the far right side of the screen. It says, talk to us. I'd love to get your thoughts on this topic. And Cheryl, thank you so much for being willing to walk us through some tough topics in this episode. And you know what? It was even fun. I can't wait to come see you and let you fix me one of your famous Sunday dinners. Hey, I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.